Welcome to your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. It's just been a veritable all-you-can-eat buffet of sports lately, has it not? We've got so much to get to today. I'll be joined by Marcus Fuller in just a little bit to talk NCAA Men's Basketball Championship game and Ben Johnson's recruiting so far. So we'll get to all the college basketball stuff here in just a little bit. But first, what did I miss? Oh, you missed so much. If you, let's say you went to bed early, let's say you, um, you know, got your second dose of the vaccine yesterday, which I did, uh, by the way, um, and you're, you're feeling, you were feeling kind of drowsy, but you, but maybe you pushed through, you pushed through and you watched all the sports, um, and, and you, you got to, you get to see it all anyway. Um, Vikings news, let's start that off the top because that's not good. Um, I want to, I want to get to that because it's important. Um, but, but none of, none of that is good on or off the field. Jeff Gladney, um, turned himself in cornerback, uh, going to be second year player, turned himself into doubt into the Dallas County jail, um, report coming out of uh, Texas TV on Monday, CBS news 11 in Dallas, um, Arrested family violence assault charge, third degree felony charge. Uh, you, if you read the arrest affidavit, it's it's terrible. Uh, all sorts of stuff, shoving her face uh, towards her phone to try to use the face ID to unlock the phone. Dispute over text messages that were coming in. I mean, it, it's just how do I'm trying to I'm just trying to understand how these things happen. Um, it just just terrible first and foremost for you know for jeff gladney's girlfriend um and way 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 down the list uh what happens with the vikings on the football field perhaps regarding you know how how that secondary looks next season if he is going to have to miss any time as a result of this whatever the case whatever you read about this it doesn't look good um and i guess we'll just have to leave it at that for now on the field on the court some interesting stuff yesterday. I want to start with the Wolves, as I often do in this regard. D'Angelo Russell back. Um, surprising a little bit. Um, maybe we should have seen it coming based on, you know, first game with fans in attendance Monday at Target Center. Um, you know, we had Ethan Casson on Monday show, limited uh, limited uh, attendance, about twelve to 1,500. Um, Wild did the same thing on Monday at XL Energy Center. We'll get to them in a minute. Um, but Wolves, they got D'Angelo Russell back. He's been out for, you know, several weeks now after having, you know, knee surgery. They also got Ricky Rubio back. Both those guys were listed as doubtful on the Sunday injury report, which was interesting uh, that they were both able to play on Monday. But you lose Malik Beasley, you get the news that he's going to be out four to six weeks with that hamstring injury. So you still can't get Beasley, Russell, and Towns on the court together. But, you know, more to the point, I think the bigger deal is getting Towns and Russell and now Anthony Edwards on the court together. And you could start to see some of why they think that is going to work um, in, in Monday's game. The Wolves beat the Kings 116-106. to The big three kind of dominates the ball, dominates the, the, sh- the shots. Um, you know, Russell comes off the bench, but still ends up, I think, leading the team in in field goal attempts. I think he tried 19 field goals in like 24, 25 minutes, something like that. Um, you know, none of those guys had like a particularly efficient night scoring the ball. Um, I'm just going to pull it up here really quick. Yeah, Edwards was 5 for 15. Towns was 8 for 18. Russell was 7 for 19. Um, nobody else took more than eight shots in the game. So you can kind of see that the pecking order that all three of those guys, um, you know, are going to get the shots 
Um, 25 points for Russell, 23 for Towns, 19 for Edwards. Overall game was pretty good for all of them. They, they filled up other parts of the stat sheet. And, you know, Russell had five rebounds, three assists, had a steal, had a block. Um, Towns had 13 rebounds, five assists, a couple steals. Edwards, eight rebounds, five assists, two steals, um, seven turnovers. Filled up that part of the stat sheet as well. But on the court together, they all looked pretty good. There were some moments where you're wondering who's going to, sh- you know, is there enough ball to go around? And I think that's going to be a question going forward. But I think each of them can be reasonably happy with the shot volume they got in the game last night. And I think the Wolves can be reasonably happy with what they saw. Um, they get a win, and we'll see how sustainable that is, how, how well the, the, the pairing or the, the trio works over the, you know, the back half of this schedule, the last 20 or 25 games. I'll actually have Dane Moore does a great job on his own podcast on uh, on Wednesday's podcast. Talk a little bit more about this and just kind of what's the sustainability of some of the things that we saw Monday. Was it just a function of playing a pretty mediocre Sacramento team or are there more things there to like? But, you know, for one night at least, fans got to see a Timberwolves win. That's something we don't see regardless of whether there's fans in the stands very much anyway. Uh, but first time in 13 months that fans were back and they were able to see that at the very least. Other side of the river, wild comeback falls short against Colorado. I'm going to give them credit for like a partial comeback in this game. They get down 4-1 to one going into the third period. Uh, Colorado just kind of blitzed them with four goals in the second period after the wild had taken an early one nothing lead. You get, uh, you know, so they, they cut it to 4-2, then it's 5-2 Colorado, then it's 5-3 by the middle of the third period. Uh, then I think Fiala scores with like 30 seconds left. So it says 5-4 is the final tally. You kind of get credit for a comeback, but there was, it wasn't like a real, real threat. Like they were like right on the verge of winning that game. Uh, certainly better than a couple weeks ago, um, you know, when they lost to, lost to Colorado, you know, by a combined 11-1. to score but you know still you're kind of seeing a pecking order established in in the standings here where Colorado seems like they are the class of that division I think Vegas is quite good too but the the wild seems to match up okay against Vegas for whatever reason so I think if you're looking for a realistic path for the wild right now it's not trying to catch Colorado it's trying to settle in and in that two three spot where they're going to probably end up playing Vegas and seeing if they can push and push and get that number two seed so they could have the home ice in that first round and then hoping that if they can get past that that whatever happens with Colorado in the first round um, you know either the, the Wild have figured something out and have some momentum or somehow Colorado gets upset by a team that has a better matchup with them in the playoffs but Playing Colorado just does not seem like a good matchup for the Wild right now. Maybe they'll get another chance to do it on a Wednesday, see if it's a little bit better. But I think they're eight points behind Colorado now. It's, it's probably going to be a tough thing to catch them. But can they at least maintain that 2-3 range, and can they jump up and grab that number two seed by the end of the season? The Twins stayed hot three wins in a row. Shocking that uh, the, the bottom half of Detroit's rotation – isn't uh maybe isn't the greatest and that when you get into their middle relief uh it's maybe not the greatest as well 15 to 6 is your final it was 15 2 going into the ninth inning uh poor randy dobna gets the save but also gets up gives up a grand slam in the ninth inning that doesn't have a whole lot of consequences aside from his era um nelson cruz grand slam earlier in the game one of his two home runs 
So the offense kind of puts this all together. Luis Arias has to leave the game with a stomach ailment. Second Twins player in a row to have to leave a game with the stomach ailment. But uh, hopefully he and Byron Buxton will be better soon. Um, it seems like the Twins are just kind of playing the way they thought they would play. And anytime you go into a season, you have concerns. You don't know quite what you're going to see. But they're 3-1 and one now. The offense, you know, plenty of offense in a 15 to six game, another good starting pitching performance from Matt Shoemaker. I think he had six innings, only one run allowed. Looked like he was, you know, pretty efficient with his pitches as well. So looking like a pretty well-rounded all-around team right now. We'll see what happens once there's better competition. You know, I think Detroit isn't a, too much of a challenge. The, they and the Royals probably going to finish at the bottom of that AL Central. So it'll be interesting once once the Twins start playing the White Sox and Cleveland, how they look. But for right now, you know what? You can't complain at the results. And it looks like the roster construction, in particular the starting pitching through these four games, is going to hold up in a pretty good way. Uh, AC out there in the flat. Is the ball thrown in the low. That, that isn't Snelker's fault. We'll get into a detailed breakdown of the NCAA men's basketball championship game and uh, and Ben Johnson with the Gophers here in just a minute with Marcus Fuller, but I wanted to play that for you uh, as an entry point just into a quick thought on the championship game. Um, Jalen Suggs with Gonzaga comes up short. They don't get the championship. They, they, their, their bid for a perfect season stops with Baylor. Baylor, awfully good. I, I, I don't know how many times... Which of these teams wins more often out of ten out of ten games? I kind of think it's Baylor. I kind of think they were the best team all season, even if they lost a couple times, even if they weren't the undefeated team going in, even if they were the the they were not the favored team. Because boy, it sure looks like they, the way they play defense is is just uh, it it's it's so much. It's hard for a team to overcome that. And I don't like once I saw it on the court. I didn't love Gonzaga's matchup, but the the, the that ain't Schnelker's fault. That's Jalen Suggs, 22 points. He led the team in scoring, kind of did all he could do. It was just more a function of what Baylor did, what their defense looked like, Baylor making their shots, Baylor making all the the right plays at the right moments and winning that game, but not Jalen Suggs' fault. 22 points for the freshman from Minnehaha Academy and likely top, you know, top five at least NBA lottery pick coming up in the draft in just a couple months here. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to have Marcus Fuller on today's Daily Delivery. Marcus, welcome back. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, this is a Long time coming, you know, uh, to have the national championship game here. Uh, Baylor, Gonzaga, you know, this is one that we always wanted to see. We didn't get to see in the regular season uh, because of a couple COVID positive tests for Gonzaga. But we got to see in the championship game. Unfortunately, um, like I wrote in my gamer, um, you know, it was a letdown not to see them play in the regular season. And then obviously a letdown in the championship game, just that it was – it wasn't really a game. Yeah, I was I was surprised. I guess, you know, anytime you have two anytime you have two teams that are really good, if one team just has a better night, that that kind of game can happen. And I was, you know, at the at the outset of the show, I was kind of trying to talk through like what what did I think would happen if these teams played like a 10 game series over, you know, 3 months? Right. Who who wins more often than not? And I, I wasn't 
a hundred percent sure, but I thought maybe it was, I thought maybe it was Baylor just based on how good they looked matchup wise and how tough that defense makes it for, you know, any team, but, but especially how tough it sure seemed like it made it look for Gonzaga last night. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, you know, we obviously go back to when they would have played in the regular season, December 5th, I believe. Um, I actually thought at that moment, uh, you know, Gonzaga might've been the better team. Um, You know, I think that obviously, you know, you go throughout the regular season and you don't lose. Uh, I think the only time they were down double digits was, uh, you know, BYU in the West West Coast Conference tournament. They were down 12 at halftime, came back to win. Uh, you know, people want to go back to them not being tested, you know, in the WCC. Uh, you know, there's some tough teams in that conference, but they, you know, they, they handled their business in non-conference, you know, beat Kansas, beat Iowa. West Virginia was every bit as good as uh, – you know, some of the teams in their conference. So, you know, I feel like they they had enough tests during the regular season to prepare them for the moment. Obviously, in the NCAA tournament, uh, they had quite a run. So it's hard for me to say, you know, <laughs> nine times out of ten, who would win. Uh, I thought Gonzaga was a better team earlier in the year. I thought Baylor, by losing those two games, you know, they went on a COVID pause. Uh, coming back from that really showed them you know, what they needed to, to do to be champions. And um, again, you know, I, I don't think it's just a conference, one coming from a major conference, one coming from, you know, the mid-major conference. I just think, um, you know, Baylor uh, learned a lot from a couple losses and, and having to go on a COVID pause. Within the game, um, what did you, and what did you see that impressed you in particular about the way Baylor played? Well, I think it started with the final four game against Houston. You know, Houston, um, you know, was an incredible defensive team as well. And they also rebounded. And I think, you know, they did what Houston does to, to teams. Uh, you know, Baylor did it to them. And I think they, they, they kind of controlled that, uh, you know, the glass early versus Gonzaga. Um, even my, you know, I, my family was, was watching the game and they were shouting at, at the TV uh, when it was like seven to nothing, I think nine to nothing. You know, I mean, it was clearly still a game, but uh, Gonzaga, I think early on, you know, they weren't even taking shots. They weren't, they were able to get one shot and then it was Baylor's ball. You know, Baylor was getting offensive rebounds. You know, they, I think more than doubled uh, uh, Gonzaga's uh, field goals early, you know, so, and, and, and it wasn't even about Gonzaga, you know, being shut down defensively it was they weren't even giving it, getting many shots. So I think that, set the tone early, uh, what Baylor was able to do on the glass. I think um, the fact that Jalen had two fouls, Jalen Suggs had two fouls within the first, you know, three and a half minutes or so, you know, that that's a big d- difference. You know, earlier in the season, I think when they played West Virginia, uh, Jalen got hurt and I thought, you know, everybody was gasping because they, they thought maybe he was out for the season because it looked like a really serious ankle injury. Um, you know, and, and, and West Virginia was controlling that game early and Jalen, you know, he came out, you know, like Willis Reed, uh, out of the locker room and ended up finishing the game and he didn't have a huge game, but just his presence alone, you could see that it, it changed it for, for Gonzaga. And, um, you know, it just didn't work this time because Baylor, like we've been talking, you know, they're so, so good on defense, so good on, on the boards in this particular game. And I think in the, in the final four, 
they were amazing offensively too. Um, they couldn't miss a shot early on. And, and I think they hit seven of their 10 three pointers in the, in the first half. And, and that just really took Gonzaga completely out of it. You mentioned Suggs, obviously the mini haha Academy star had the amazing, uh, you know, Amazing season, amazing semifinal game. Patrick Royce and I talked about that game quite a bit on Monday's podcast. Still ended up with 22 points, led all of uh, you know all of Gonzaga's scores in the um, in the championship game. So you know, definitely nothing for him to feel bad about. But I'm still sh- sure, still a, a sense of disappointment when you're not able to finish off. You know, especially not just a championship season, but a undefeated season. Where do you think he, you know, he and his teammates are? Where, where's their head at right now after you've had such a great season, but it comes up one game short? Well, I'm looking at a picture of uh, Jalen right now. You know, with his head down, um, his hand on his head. You know, um, tears coming down. I think if you look at the way that uh, the body language uh, told you, you know, even before the game was over. Uh, when they knew it was over, um, you know, this is something that's going to hurt for probably the rest of their lives. I remember I, I lost the state championship game, which is nothing, anything close on this level, but I lost the state championship game when we were undefeated uh, all season. And uh, it still sticks with me today in high school. Um, so, you know, I think that they're never going to forget it. But at the same time, I think as time passes, uh, you know, Mark Few said it after the game and he has a, you know, perspective because he lost the championship game in 2017 that they'll, um, you know, realize how special this season was. You know, you talk to Car Anthony Towns and, you know, they lost to Wisconsin in the final four um, and they were had a chance to be undefeated that year. You know, you can't take away from all the accomplishments they had to that point. And to have a, such a special shot, as you mentioned, um, to get to the championship game, you know, we're going to see that play over and over and over again. Um, you know, in, in the history of, of March Madness, one shiny moment, um, you know, immortalized it. And I think that's something that we'll look back on um, years from now and, and enjoy the season, enjoy that moment. You know, right now, it, it feels like they were so close, right? But they yeah. weren't, you know, and, and I think as time passed, you, you understand how good Baylor was. Maybe you appreciate Baylor even more. Um, you know, the two losses they had after the COVID pause, you know, um, maybe if they didn't go on a pause, they would have been uh, undefeated, you know, first undefeated team since 76. So you have to look back on the season as one that maybe, you know, was easily could not have happened, you know, yeah. if, if the NCAA hadn't put together this tournament in, in one van, in one uh, state in Indiana and, you know, all the teams like Gonzaga and Baylor, you know, they've gone through things during the season, uh, but they found a way to, to finish it out on the court. Uh, and that, that's a win in itself. Every, you know, every, every sense we get is that Suggs will turn pro. Um, what do you, you know, as we think about that, I mean, there's a, even a possibility that if the Timberwolves keep their pick, they, they could be in a position to draft him, you know, in that top three range. What do you think the future holds for Jay, for Jalen Suggs? Oh, it's so, so bright. His future. Um, you know, I, I look back at his high school career, and, you know, he got off to a huge, uh, amazing start. Um, you know, he won a state title as a freshman, led his team. I wrote about it a little bit. Uh, they were down. You know, he can't, he brought him back in the second half. And you're like, wow, this guy is going to be one of the best, if not the best to ever play. Um, 
you know, he had some ups and downs uh, during his high school career, and then he finished it off with a bang. Didn't win a championship here, but everyone can see that uh, he should probably be the number one pick. I know Charles Barkley, uh, you know, if he had the pick, he'd definitely take Jalen number one. I think it just depends on which team is picking. And even if it's the Wolves, you know, is that the right pick? Um, you know, I know we love our own, right? You know, we want yeah. to have Minnesotans lead the way, but, you know, maybe it's it's destiny for him to, to go somewhere else and lead that team. Um, you know, obviously, if, if, if he's going to lead a team to a title, you'd like to see it be in Minnesota because it wasn't with the Gophers. Um, and, you know, you want him to cement his legacy here in Minnesota. I know a lot of people that when I wrote that, you know, he was cementing his Minnesota basketball legacy by possibly winning a championship. They said that couldn't be true because it wasn't here in Minnesota. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think if, if you, if, if you have your roots here, uh, you grew up here, you, you definitely play high school ball here and you, you're, you're remembered for that. If you go on and achieve something somewhere else, you know, I think that's still a legacy for a Minnesotan. And uh, I think he, it might be a better fit for him to go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, the Wolves have such a uh, <laughs> not very good history of, no. of drafting guards. Um, they don't end up doing too well. And, and uh, I think Tyus is, you know, playing better since he left um, and definitely having more success. Tyus Jones. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, he's definitely a top three pick. We'll have to see who gets the top pick. Uh, what I love to see him next to Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, no question. And I think he would make team uh, a lot better especially because and I think we've seen it it's more than just a shot he's a two-way player Um, you know he can defend at the next level immediately uh, with his size and his strength and his athleticism and you know that's going to be intriguing to the Wolves if they have that top pick yeah no doubt I'm glad you mentioned the Gophers too I want to transition here for just a little bit talk about Ben Johnson, some of the early work he's doing in recruiting specifically, you know, transfer portal, getting three new players. Um, but while we're on the J- the Jalen Suggs kind of track, you know, how, how does Ben Johnson ever eventually get a player like that? It, it, what, what's the process of even getting this program to the point where someone like Jalen Suggs says, you know what, I want to come to Minnesota. Well, there is one and there's Chet Holmgren, right. And he still yeah. has a shot at him because he hasn't made a decision but when you see the type of season Gonzaga had and then Chet sees the type of season that his, you know, former teammate had at Gonzaga, you know, he's got to be thinking, you know, Jalen, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do one, uh, you a favor and I'm going to go win a championship with, uh, with Gonzaga. You know, I bet, I bet he's thinking that right now. I don't know, uh, you know, uh, if uh, Jalen would come back and play with him. I think that's not going to happen, but no. I think that, you know, Chet Holmgren would be the one, um, you know, Jalen Suggs, Chet Holmgren's, Tyus Jones, they've had a great run here in Minnesota, an unbelievable run of players um, that are right there at the top of the, you know, co- the country in their classes. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that um, after Chet Holmgren, um, you know, and not, not, to, not to take anything away from the players that come, you know, in the 2022 class and, and, and beyond. Uh, I just think that it's it's going to be a different level of player. Um, you know, we're going to see players that, you know, are four-star, um, maybe not a McDonald's All-American, um, you know. But again, Amir Coffey, Daniel Turu, these players are in the NBA right now. 
you know, there weren't McDonald's All-Americans. They weren't, you know, top five players in the class. Um, but they turned, helped turn Minnesota around at that time, made the NCAA tournament, you know, and, and if you put enough of the pieces together, not just with Minnesota guys, but if you put enough pieces together, you know, I think Ben Johnson could, you know, get uh, the Gophers and make it make a tournament run. Does he have a chance at Chet Holmgren? I think it might be too late as yeah. far as he has a relationship. But again, Gonzaga, just the way they played with, you know, Chet's teammate, uh, established that relationship. Um, you know, he made a visit there. You know, I think it's going to be tough to beat out Gonzaga, you know, or possibly the the G League route. But I, I think, you know, it sounds like Chet's going to, uh, Holmgren's going to play in college. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the next Chet Holmgren, you know, or Jalen Suggs, you know, I, I'm actually looking to see who that is yeah. um, in, the, in the near future, let alone, um, you know, if the Gophers have a shot at him. The near term is, like I said, three new players from the transfer portal. What, what do you, what do we know about the three guys that they have brought in and what's the, what's the prospect for how much they help next season? Right. I, I think that, you know, right now uh, it's great that, uh, you know, Ben Johnson, you know, for him, uh, he's got off to the right start uh, or a fast start, I should say, by uh, landing three players immediately. He doesn't even have a staff yet right, in, in place. So he's doing this on his own. He's, he's hit, you know, the players, they hit the transfer portal. He's contacting many of them um, immediately, you know, especially the ones with Minnesota ties, you know, started off with, uh, Jamison Battle, who's a fellow uh, Islander uh, at De La Salle. You know, Jamison was a must-get. Um, he fits exactly what Ben Johnson, uh, the style of play that he's he's wanting to have. Uh, you know, great shooter, but also uh, potential to be a great defender. Um, you know, I think the fact that Jamison Battle picked Minnesota, uh, he was the first one to pick Minnesota, it says a lot because, you know, Mark Coyle, um, you know, he, he didn't, you know, mix his words uh, saying how important it was to recruit the state of Minnesota and Jamison battle is not a high school recruit, but he's a Minnesotan and he was one of the best transfers on the market. So to start it off with him, uh, it sent a message. Uh, he knows a lot of players that are in the transfer portal that are from Minnesota. He also knows, mm -hmm. you know, you know, some that um, they're still in high school. So I think that'll help. You know, the other two players um, at the time I wasn't too familiar with. Uh, I tried, like a lot of people, when you see a player hit the portal and you see Minnesota's name mentioned with them, um, you try to do your homework real quickly on, on, on how good they are and, and what they bring to the table. Uh, EJ Stevens and uh, Luke Louie, uh, Louis, uh, they both, um, you know, were productive players at the mid-major level. Um, you know, they both were two-way players. Um I think if you look at what Ben Johnson is trying to build again, they're, they're both considered uh, to be high level shooters, even though the, the percentages from three uh, weren't that impressive this past season. Um, they have shot the three at a high level during their careers and they're both, um, I, I believe 85% or higher free throw shooters. Um, so I think that right there uh, with Jameson battle and the two transfer, the grad transfers, um, you're bringing a lot more shooting into the Gopher program than they had in the, you know, this past season, even though I think some of those players probably sh shot the ball better in their careers than they did last season. So I think he's, you know, definitely sending a message there that he's looking for two-way players uh, playing both sides of the ball and guys that can shoot the ball. 
there's a lot of other players in the portal that he's after. And really, he's got to fill almost an entire team uh, because he has six players enter the portal, including Gabe Kalsher, um, you know, who I think um, he's going to try his hardest to get back. Um, and then he's, he's going to have to look for some post players as well. Uh, we don't know at this point if Liam Robbins is going to be back. I think there's a good chance he could be. Um, but again, you know, it, it's dependent on a lot of his uncle, Ed Conroy, and, and what he does in his future. And, and then, um, you know, also what, what uh, you know, what Liam and, you know, how he, he establishes that relationship with Ben. And I think so far it's been pretty good. Good stuff, Marcus. Appreciate it. Um, end of the college basketball season is probably always a bittersweet one for you, but great job uh, covering this year and sure plenty more to it uh, to come here as you, you cover the, you know, Ben Johnson filling out his staff, the recruiting. Anytime there's a new coach, there's always a little bit more news on that regard. So uh, you know, enjoy the off season as much as you can. And we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you again here on the podcast soon. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Let's end with the cooler. You see the jets traded Sam Darnold to uh, Carolina for, I believe a second round pick, a fourth round pick, and a sixth round pick hasn't been great for for Darnold in uh, in in the you know in his first three years in the league. But uh, maybe a change of scenery is the thing that he needs to get better. Doesn't seem like these things usually work for the team that acquires the young quarterback that hasn't had much success yet. So I'm not terribly optimistic for Carolina. I think it's a pretty good deal for the Jets. These are the kind of moves that sometimes I want the Vikings to make, and then once you see them actually play out like that they don't uh, they don't have quite the same uh, appeal to them I guess is what I would say so pretty good trade for the Jets I'd say to recoup at least some assets and not be on uh, on that Sam Darnold contract at least um, you know even though it's a rookie contract it's a pretty expensive one for where he was picked to be able to be clear of that and be able to start over at quarterback is I think a good thing for them like I said earlier, Dane Moore will join me tomorrow on the show. Talk Timberwolves, break down that a little bit more. Should be a lot of fun. Dane does a great job on his Dane Moore podcast. So hopefully uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy that. Got some uh, Twins talk coming up later in the week with Phil Miller to set up the home opener. We'll catch you again on Wednesday. Thanks again for listening to Daily Delivery. Daily Delivery.